This is DeRay Alalia, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast, episode 166. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7-Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the Cashflow Ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now your host, DeRay Olalaye. What is going on, ladies and gents? Welcome back to another installment of the Before the Millions podcast. Guys, I'm super excited for this episode because this is uh, one of those inspirational ones where we are getting to your goal. For those of you in pursuit of what seems to be this elusive dream of financial freedom, location independence, lifestyle design, and achieving these goals through real estate, whether you've gotten started, you're just getting started, you, you've you thought about it, you're on the fence, but ultimately you're not there yet. This episode is going to spark some some motivation in you. And, and I bring on Mrs. Lin Ying Zhu, who is a corporate professional turned real estate investor. And her career wasn't too different from mine. I mean, besides the fact that she was looking to become a partner at a Wall Street firm, she was a professional who thought that she had arrived, thought that she had made it, thought that this was the American dream. And lo and behold, when she got in her position, she realized how much <laughs> how much of her life she was giving up, how much of her freedom she was giving up how much of her money she was giving up. And again, similar to me, she just, she needed to do something about it. And she found real estate as the answer. And, and this wasn't the original answer. I think that she started a marijuana business before she really decided that real estate was where she was going to stake her fork in the ground. And through a random, but perfectly timed overseas trip, she came to and that's kind of just what I'm going to call it. But she came to, I think she planned on going on the trip for like two weeks or two months. And she had told her relative she'll be right back. And she ended up staying on this trip for about six months right after she quit her job. So we get into her story as to why she quit her job. What happened on this trip that totally changed her life? How she got into real estate and then how she's using real estate to achieve her freedom number, which is her ultimate financial goal. So we'll talk about what a freedom number is to her, and she'll give us some tips and advice when it comes to our freedom number and how we can use a powerful tool like real estate, her niche is multifamily, to accelerate our success and live our lifestyle design. So if you haven't yet subscribed to the show, make sure that you do that. Secondly, go ahead while you're subscribing, and for those of you already subscribed, as easy as it was for us to click play on this podcast episode, we can just click that five-star button, leave a rating and review, and let iTunes and all these other podcast aggregators know that the Before the Millions podcast is a podcast to be reckoned with, and it deserves to be shown in front of the eyeballs of thousands, if not millions of more people. If you believe that, then Definitely head over to your iTunes or podcasting directory, click that five-star button, leave a quick review, and you may not realize it, but you'll be doing wonders in terms of growth for this podcast. Again, make sure you are subscribed because we have some really, really fun episodes coming up that have been in the vault for a while, and it's now finally time to release them. So make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you have your notifications on for this podcast. And last but not least, leave us that short but sweet review. DeRay's Tip of the Week. 
Let's get a deal done per month and let's just use some standard benchmarks to help you get a deal done per month. And this is something that I, I expanded on in a 30 minute video inside of the Before the Millions 5K and 30 day challenge where you can find over at beforethemillions.com forward slash 5K. But I want to summarize what I talked about in that video and what I kind of went behind the scenes and showed the challengers in that video to do in their business. So how do we get you to one deal per month and maybe even why your system currently is not working? So ultimately, let's again use general benchmarks and say that you want to get one deal done in the next 30 days. In essence, you would need to make 25 offers. Okay. This is pretty standard. You would need to make 25 offers to get one deal done. So then we got to reverse engineer that. Well, how many leads do we need to have to make 25 offers? Well, we, we need about 50 leads, right? Because, you know, just because we have 25 leads doesn't mean all of those leads are going to entertain an offer, right? Some people may become leads initially. And then by the time it gets to the offer phase, they just kind of fall off the face of the earth. So on average, let's just say you need about 50 leads to make 25 offers, Okay, well, how do you get 50 leads? Well, again, on average, you need a list of about 5,000 people, 5,000 distressed owners, 5,000 motivated sellers to get 50 leads. That is a 1% conversion rate. 1% is 50 people for every 5,000 motivated sellers. Now, what you're going to do with this list of 5,000 people is you're going to contact them via various means. This can be direct mail. This can be cold calling. This can be ringless voicemails. Uh, this can be text messages. Again, in this 30 minute video, I show you guys how to send out text messages and ringless voicemails to this list of 5,000 people. And again, with just a 1% response rate, you should be able to get about 50 leads. And with 50 leads, you should be able to make about 25 offers. And for every 25 offers you make, you should be able to get a deal done. So this is how you reverse engineer, making sure that you get one deal done per month. Now, I had a client who was pulling a list of about 350 people and was hoping to get a deal done. And within the first 10 minutes of our first coaching session together, I showed him, hey, like at this pace, you're not going to get a deal done for two years. But in his eyes, before that conversation, he was working diligently. He was attacking that list. He was getting leads. He was following up. And now just by implementing this metric system, he knows exactly how much work needs to be done to get his desired result. So I hope that tip of the week helps you guys. And if you want to step up to the plate and partake in the 5K and 30 day challenge yourself, I give you all the materials to put 5K in your pockets in the next 30 days. All you have to do is head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash 5K. And now your feature presentation. My upbringing is mostly focused, you know, because I'm from a Chinese background. So, you know, it's about hard work, about climbing the corporate ladder, about doing well in school, finding a good job, you know, making good money um, so that your parents can compare you to other kids, right? Mm. That are, you know, equally or more successful than you are, generally more successful than you are. Um, so that's really what my upbringing is about. And I did, you know, follow through with that. You know, I went to a good school. I went to Boston College. Um, and then I graduated with finance and accounting degree. And I worked in asset management for 10 years. You know, I worked for big companies such as State Street um, and Lights of Columbus. And then I went to work for a small asset manager called Longfellow in Boston. And my mindset has always been, how do I become a partner? How do I become the vice president? How do I become, you know, the managing director, right? And how do I make more money? How do I increase my bonus um, through time? And that was my focus for 10 years. And once I get, you know, I get tired of the one company's culture, I find another job, I jump to another company um, in the hope of kind of looking for more excitement, more challenges, more pay, right? That, that, that was the journey for about 10 years. And about three years ago, you know, I was just so, I was just so sick of what I was doing. You know, there was really no great purpose to my job than to make money for people that already has money, hmm. right? It's we're managing institutional assets and pension funds and, you know, managing large corporate accounts like Amazon and we're doing fixed income and, you know, like fixed income rates have been so low for the last few years that all I was doing was, you know, how do I make an extra basis point? You know, how do I make two extra basis points on a hundred million dollars? So at the end of the day, it's like there's no not really a greater purpose to my job 
tend to do that. And while I love the everyday aspect of interacting with people, interacting with traders on the streets and interacting with my team uh, and coming up with trade ideas and things like that, you know, that really become like, like a void in my life that there is just no greater purpose. And then there's also the lack of control that you really, that I just felt like I didn't have any control over the company directionally where it was going. And so how do I change that? Do I go find another job? Like how do I expect another job to be, to not be the same? So, you know, what happened was I actually, after I left my last job, I actually went travel for six months. And, you know, while I was on the, on the road, that really kind of created the kind of changed my mindset about what I consider happiness to be and what I consider success to be and how I should think about my purpose in life and how I can pursue that. Uh, I went all over actually. So I spent a couple weeks in Europe and then we did the Trans-Siberian Railway uh, through Russia. Uh, So I actually was, I, I was there with my business partners and then at the time, they were just my friends. Now they are my business partners. Mm. And then went through Mongolia. I spent about eight weeks in China. Um, and then we went to, I, I went to South Korea and Japan. Nice. I love so, that. Yeah. So, yeah. so at the time, you, you, you weren't an investor. You had not a single investment. I did have investment. So back in 2010, I actually bought my first rental property because it's always the American dream, right? As first immer- first generation immigrant is that the American dream is to own your own house. And um, so back in 2010, I actually bought my first rental property. And that has done really well because 2010 was the death of the recession. So, um, so that was good. So that Rental income from that property, which I still own today, was enough to support me while I was traveling for six months on the road. How did you how did you go about the the process of leaving your job? Like what was what mentally, what were you where were you at? What were you thinking was about to happen? Did you know you were traveling for six months? Did it start off as a week? Was it was it intentional? And then tell me about the transition over those six months as to your new philosophy on life as it kind of unfolds? You know, it's really funny because when I first started traveling, I intended to go. So I left in October. I went to visit, I was going to visit some of my British friends over in UK and then do like two weeks in Iceland with my other friends. And actually when I left in October, I told my mom that I'll be, I'll be home by Christmas. <laughs> and this is, and Christmas is in two weeks, correct? <laughs> No, the Christmas will be in two months. So, in two I was, months. so okay, yeah. so you thought it was going to be two months, but before you before you left, why did you leave? Like you just quit your job and you're like, I'm going to travel for two months. Like, what happened? There was a um, so for about a year or so, I was really unhappy at my job. Um, so I actually started another company um, that was focused on on completely different, un- unrelated to real estate, and I was working with that. And what then, was what was that company, Lenny? <laughs> It was a cannabis debt funding company. Interesting. Yes, because uh, re- recreational cannabis uh, w- became legal in Massachusetts over that time period. So mm. we started that venture. And through that venture, I had a conflict with my employer, and therefore I left. Um, and then uh, when I left, we, we I... We do have similar stories. <laughs> I didn't start a cannabis company, though. I started, I started syndicating, but totally... <laughs> yeah, okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So when I left, you know, I really wasn't sure what I was going to do. I was thinking that I was going to find another job or I, I was going to pursue, you know, this cannabis venture on the side and then find a full-time job um, because, you know, as a startup, it's How really would the cannabis problem. venture make money? Yeah. I mean, as a startup, how would, how, how, what was yielding profits? It would be, so that cannabis idea was that we were going to be the debt fund behind uh, the cannabis startups. So there are a lot of equity ventures in the cannabis world, um, but there's not a lot of debt fund, debt funds that's available. And, you know, most of the cannabis companies cannot get uh, bank lending because, you know, most banks are fairly chartered and marijuana is still illegal yeah. under the federal charter. So we saw that there was going to be a need for, you know, for cannabis, cannabis companies to get loans from us. And we will, you know, just similar to real estate, we will have like origination fee, or we'll have interest payments, things like that. Kind of syndicating that deal. When you say we, 
I mean, are you beginning to form a mastermind? How is how is this we coming about? We uh, I say we because we actually have we have four partners in that in that venture. Um, it was very early on. It was very much you know like an academic exercise, but we have formed uh, the company on paper. We haven't like LLC'd it, but we had a business plan. You know, we had Zega Sunbury. We actually went through a venture round at uh, at Northeastern. Wow. Um, to pursue this idea for to get funding for the idea. Um, in the back and, of your head, you always knew, or you you started planting seeds to to quit your job. I mean, there, this was yes. this was starting to be an active process of finding another means to to leave work. Yes, absolutely, because I was just very very unhappy in my last job near the last year or so of my career, yeah. and uh, and it was definitely in my mind that I was going to quit and do something else. And if that's something else is this cannabis fun, you know, venture or another job, but definitely not staying at that previous career. Yeah. Um, and the day you quit, what was the day you quit? The, the exact day you quit, what was your plan for, as of that day? I know it changed over the next six months, but that day, what was the original plan? Uh, so that was, I really didn't have a plan. I was just saying, okay, you know, now I'm going to just going to focus on this cannabis funding company and see where that takes me. And if that company really didn't pan out well, then I was just going to go back in the corporate world and find a job. Hmm. And that was my mindset at the time. But that's you would definitely consider it, Even to this day, just, just for people who are maybe in similar positions, you would have, and even now would consider that going back to find another corporate job would be fairly, fairly doable. It, I think it would be within the skill set, but mentally, I will never do it. Of course, of course, of course. I, okay. I, I don't want people to ever go do that, but I want people to know that the risk, the perceived risk is not as high. Yeah, right? absolutely. It's not as high. Your skill set is there. Your experience is there. All the network that you built over time remains there, right? Yeah. So if you were to exit for a few years and say, pursue, take a risk and pursue a startup or entrepreneurial idea that you have or passionate hobby that you have, then you can, and if that fails, you learn something during that process, right? As entrepreneurs, you and I know, you know, we have all these different skill sets now that we didn't have before that would be very applicable, applicable in like in your previous role. You know, you may go back to this very same corporate career that you had before, or you can do something completely different, but still work a, you know, W2 job. Um, I think the possibilities is out there, opportunities out there. And I think, you know, just saying that, hey, I quit today doesn't mean that you had to quit forever. There's always that safety net that you can fall back to. You told your mom that you were going to be gone for two months. But yes. you ended up being gone for six months. What happened during the six-month period that completely shifted your thinking on how to go about your life? I think it's the living on the road. I mean, you, you mentioned that you're on a nomadic lifestyle, right? That when we were working corporate jobs, the vacation is a vacation. You know, you take a break from your life to, to go on vacation. But when you're on the road for such a long time, you're living that lifestyle. You know, you are taking vacations from this traveling. You know, I remember we have, you know, once, once a week, we're having a laundry day because we need to do our laundry. Um, so there's like this different aspects of it about living a lifestyle on the road versus being vacation on the road. You, so when I was on the road and I was traveling, you know, one thing just led to another and I just really enjoyed the experience of, you know, going to see different places, meeting different people and just encountering all these different cultures. I did, I just didn't want to go back. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you know, bug. yeah, bug. <laughs> at, at that point, two months became six months. And then, you know, I was still on the road and um, they eventually because my mom. I feel, like, I feel like the only way that that could happen, right? You can't yeah. pre-plan that. The only way that that could happen is because you're so removed from your normal reality that mm-hmm. it seems so normal for you to, yeah, why not? But if you're right. in your reality, it sounds completely crazy <laughs> to do that, right? Because you right. go to work every day, you have to be what we consider an upstanding citizen and provide for yourself in the regular right. nine to five way. And you're thinking outside of the box. And what were your friends, what were your family thinking was going on? Were they like, hey, Lynn, come back to us? <laughs> were they praying for you? What was going on? I think I, I just definitely get, did get a few text messages from my friends where they're like, what? 
are, where are you now today? Like, what time is over there? You know, and I think my parents were, you know, given that even though they are very conservative, like Chinese parents, they were very understanding at the time that I needed that in my life. And so, um, so, you know, I check in with them, you know, basically a couple of once every few weeks, you know, when I have cell service and they were fine with that. And then I, I think my friends understand, you know, most of my friends just think that I'm having fun, right? I'm trying to world, enjoying myself, living the, the time of my life, basically. And I was, I was, I mean, there, there's definitely that aspect that, um, that it, it, it is so exciting when you don't know where you're going to go the next day. You know, I remember I was in Beijing and I was, I had like a map of China out. I'm like, okay, where am I going to go? You know, should I go north? But it's too cold because I went through Siberia in the dead of winter. So I'm like, I, I'm going to go south. So I just bought like a train ticket and went south, you know, mm. go, go to the city that I, I want to go. And that's that, you know, you just easy. pack up and, and leave. And it's so easy to do. Um, and, and, you know, for a lot of people, like like you said, they think it's such a huge risk, right? That it's so hard. But it's not. Once you're on the road, everything's easier. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're traveling through Asia, honestly, it's cheaper living in Asia than you, you are living at home. Yeah, absolutely. So. So, so, so what we're dying to know, Lingyi, is this. Because, I mean, everybody's like, okay, well, that happened for six months. That was fine and dandy. But let's mm-hmm. get back to reality. How do you begin to think about providing for yourself after this? I mean, I know we're going to get to the meat and potatoes where you you help us figure out our freedom number and how to get there. But I don't think this was a concept for you back then. So what, what starts to unfold when you get back because of your enlightenment? Hmm. I think in the six, near the end of that six-month trip, um, my business partners and I, who, my business partners were actually traveling as well, and they were traveling for 14 months on the road. Wow. Um, and we're, our timeline kind of, yeah, and <laughs> our, our timelines kind of matched up, right? And, you know, we we're both near the end of our travels, and we're thinking, so what we're going to do? Like, the first thing that we didn't want to do, that we know we didn't want to do, is go back to the corporate job. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want to find another job. So how do we provide for ourselves? Like, how do we generate income? Right. How do we start a company if we can? And we had I remember they were in India. I was in Boston and there was about two weeks where we said, OK, we're going to take these two weeks. To think about different ideas mm-hmm. that we may have for uh, for income generation going forward. Um, and then we're going to come back to the table and um, and, and think about this. Uh, keep in mind, this is still the same time that I was working on the cannabis debt funding venture. And at that point, when we're having this conversation, that has died. So uh, we had a partner who exited. So um, so he was like spearheading that whole uh, whole venture. So he left, and we're like, okay, we're not super passionate about cannabis. So, but he was. So let's let's think about how we can pivot our company um, because we realize how well we work together. And we can really pivot our company and be able to create something very successful from it. Blessing in disguise. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so we actually came back, and then you know, I mentioned real estate because that's you know, I've I, like I said, I've had real estate for a long time now, and it, it had the passive income that I needed to live on the road. And my business partners also had real estate portfolio, and they said, "Well, why don't we just come together?" and create something, institutionalize it, so we can not only bring it to ourselves, but also bring it to others. Mm. And this all happened in two weeks. This happened, so we had that discussion, we had that brainstorming session for two weeks, and then we came together. Uh, I presented the idea, they liked it, and then when they came back to the States, we actually sat down in Sun Valley, Idaho, and uh, we strategized the entire, um, kind of our initial business plan for the company, we thought about, you know, we want to be in real estate, so we should ask a class within real estate do we want to be in. Do we want to be multifamily, self-storage, mobile parks? You know, there's a variety of different ways to do things. So we, so it took us about a month or so to kind of decide on our strategy uh, within Do you remember? I know it was a couple of years ago. Do you remember how you went about that process? Um, I think we, let's see. So it was a very higher up conversation initially about, um, so in terms of, what do we want in our company? What do we want to provide, right? So the other asset classes, from my background and from Christina, my business partner's background, we've always been kind of more into housing. 
and you know our experience is also in housing and you know you know the two things that human the human needs like two human needs right is food and shelter so i think for for us multifamily was just a really like our number one pick because we always need apartments you know in in the down cycle you might not need retail office or commercial space but there will always need for apartments out there so um so we had like a broad business plan around that and we wanted you know and then there's a conversation about doing fix and flips small multifamilies um, wholesaling, you know, all these other strategies as well. And then we decided that, you know, really to get passive income that we need to have a buy and hold strategy. When you think about making passive income, right, your buy and hold strategy, and you think about making active income, right, are you looking to both of these sources from the same vehicle when you're first starting out? We did. So it's interesting because we, we knew that we want to be in multifamily and there are multiple strategies within multifamily that we can take on. And we weren't exactly sure what would be the best strategy, right? Like, you know, in order to do buy and hold, you know, for all the listeners out there, you know, for, if, in order to buy and hold, you need to have a nest egg. You need to be able to buy and hold it over a longer period of time. So, you know, a lot of these other strategies, you know, fix and flips and active income strategies are really a mean to kind of produce enough of nest egg so you can buy that portfolio so you can generate passive income from it. So for our first deal, actually, we, we bought a five unit in Spokane, Washington, and it was basically two houses on, on two separate parcels, but it was a one deal. And one was a single family and one was a four family. Um, so we're going to buy and hold a four family and then fix and flip the single family. So we have both components within one deal. So we got our, you know, we got our foot wet with both strategies, understood, you know, the construction, the renovation aspect of the fix and flip and then the asset management as well of the, of the four family. Wow. And, and, and getting started like that gave you the confirmation that you needed to, to be like, Hey, I want to do this. Like, full go like there's no no hold bars there's no there's no side passion there's no anything else this is where all of my attention is going is that is that kind of when it clicked for you yeah absolutely i think you know the, that's that project itself um we learned a lot from that project you know there were a lot there were mistakes made you know there were lessons learned um but it's interesting because that project just caused us to, you know, our, to, it changed our strategy. Our strategy has changed so much over the last two years yeah. that, you know, that we needed to buy bigger. We need to buy and hold bigger properties. So, you know, we, we, when we, after we did the five, five unit, we did the seven unit and the 11 unit and then we went to syndication. Um, there's always that, that step that, hey, this is too small. There's no economy of scale here. So let's try to buy more units and achieve that kind of economy of scale. So back in the early days, you were just what you were living off of your savings. Is that because is I can't imagine that these deals I and mean, how many partners is it four of you guys? It's three of us. now. Three of you guys. I can't imagine that that first deal or maybe even those first, you know, the first six months is supporting you any kind of way. So, you know, we're, we're going to have a conversation around freedom numbers here shortly. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see what, where you were back then, what your mindset was and how you started to think about the, the concept of a freedom number. Yeah, actually, like the freedom number is how we actually create our initial strategy because we're thinking about freedom number for ourselves, right? Like what do we need to, how many properties do we need to buy in order to achieve the freedom number that we set for ourselves? Um, how, how many properties do we need to own and hold and generate, you know, X amount of income per unit in order to, for us to basically take a, uh, take a step back in the company and become more, more of a strategy role. Um, and so free number is the first thing that we, we focus on for ourselves. And that's why, you know, we actually create a white paper around uh, the roadmap to financial freedom, which introduces freedom number for our investors. So they can start thinking and planning um, the freedom number in their lives. as well. How, how long did it take you guys to get there? To get to the freedom number? Mm-hmm. We're still working on it. <laughs> So, but you don't, but, but you're still, but okay, but you don't have a, this is still your primary, this is your, your, this is what you do all day, every day. So mm-hmm. even though you're not at what you consider your freedom number, I consider you free. 
Right. Right. And I've considered you free for a long time. And I think that's the very first stage that a lot of people are trying to get to. Like, how do I get where she is? Right. And, and, and I want you to, to kind of, I mean, was there, was there a particular way that you formulated this freedom number? Since again, I, I see you as you're free, you're doing what you want, you're building your portfolio, you're doing mm-hmm. the things that you love. Obviously you have goals and aspirations past this, but you're free. Right. right. So is there, what, what are you taking into account when it comes to your freedom number and how should we look at that? Yeah, so I think the very first step of looking at the freedom number is really looking at your expenses, right? So I think a lot of people don't really take a detailed look into the expenses. I mean, you can use like the Mint app and things like that to figure out where you're spending your money and really figure out uh, what things are necessary, what things are necessary, and take take out the things that you, that's not necessary, right? All these subscriptions to newspapers and magazines that you may have that you never read and things like that. Um, and then just figure out that number on a monthly basis. And then think about your goals. Like, what are you trying to achieve? Is it buying a, a, a house? Is it your kid's college education? Is it whatever, right? That's another aspect of it that you might need to have uh, if you have a family and you have like, other goals. But really the first step is that expense number. And if you can create enough passive income to replace that expense number, then you've achieved like financial freedom. Sure, like most people might want to might want to have a rainy day fund or they might want to save up for the big kids' college education and things like that. But that's the aside. The very basic basic uh, freedom number would be that expense number. Um, and, and yep. And when you're Looking at it from our perspective, you know, this is not a perspective that um, I had before I started doing self-education, right? Um, I think before I started doing, before I ever got ever handed my first book as an adult, um, I had the mindset, I had, I don't, I don't know, I did different, I did a very different type of math, but it wasn't the type of math that allowed me to look at my monthly expenses and then allowed me to look at what I could possibly be earning passively to cover that to alleviate me from anything I didn't want to do. Like I like that wasn't an epiphany for me until a book came along, right? I, I don't. It, it it turned everything on its axis because I think a lot of us, when we're in corporate America, where we're where we're in our jobs as professionals, it's like we've been taught to like save a nest egg, mm-hmm. right? like stockpile cash for your 60s, right? And by stockpiling that cash, that's what's going to provide you with the funds that you need in about 30, 40 years. But it, w- it never dawned on me that instead of stockpiling that cash, I could invest in cash flowing property and I could literally be free in two or three years Mm-hmm. Instead of 20, 30, 40 years by just, and I don't even, you know, you, you, you could, you could, with the way things work, you could barely save a million dollars in that span, right? Mm-hmm. But you can earn a million dollars so much faster by just switching your thinking. And then you actually realize when you switch your thinking, you don't even need to earn a million dollars. You just yeah. need to make a couple grand a month. Is, is the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Yeah, that was, that was my very first one. <laughs> Right. Very first one. Lenying, when I tell you, I was, and you would think like as, you know, financial, um, financial professionals, like we would learn this stuff in school mm-hmm. and I was mind blown. Yeah. Two years in and somebody handed me that book and I said, Jesus Christ, what is this? I thought it was witchcraft. <laughs> I thought it was witchcraft. I said, I've never heard of these concepts before. This yes. is so interesting. It, it is all in the mindset, like you said, right? Like when you're kind of in the corporate world, you're thinking about, okay, what's the next thing I'm going to buy? What's the next thing I'm going to spend money on, right? I'm going to buy another house, a bigger house. I'm going to buy another car, a better car. Um, and it's all in the mindset, right? Like when my friends want to go buy a condo, I'm like, uh, I don't know about this whole condo idea. It's really a cash, you know, it's a cash sink. You should really think about maybe buying a two-family house hack your way, you know, generate some cash flow. Because like you said, like Rich Dad and Poor Dad, I read that book as well. It's all about how do you put your money to work where it actually generates cash flow. Um, and, the, and then you take that cash flow that you generate from your, pass, uh, from your investments 
you buy that bigger car or you know bigger exactly, house or whatever. Exactly. So you shouldn't be using your the money that you earn so hard, you know, with your time working to buy these, you know, these these properties or these houses, these you know jet skis that has no zero cash flow value, because that's just taking away your passive. Passive income potential. Yeah, it's yeah, it's taken away. Like I look at, and I think I don't remember which book this one came from, but you know, you look at every single dollar as a a working person. Mm -hmm. And if you if you're if you're sending out these working people to do tasks to buy, you know, all these things, like you said, a condo and things that you don't really need that are expenses, right? You're not getting those working people back working for you. You're there, you know, it's it's depreciating those items. But if you just add one step before you do that, just one quick step. So instead of you earning your income and going to ex- uh, to spend your money on expenses, just mm-hmm. add one step because, you know, people earn their income, they spend their money on expenses and what they have left, they save. So they're not saving right. a whole lot. But if you take your income, right, take mm-hmm. a certain amount and you go invest in a cash flowing asset, now when you when you when you look at the equation it's like okay i earn income i invest i take those funds and then i go buy the expenses with those working dollars and guess what those dollars continue to work for you and buy more things for you right right whereas the first case once those dollars are gone they're gone but now these dollars can work for you forever and buy everything for you and what's crazy is the more you the more you accumulate the more you make the longer it is the more you make so there's no losing proposition by doing this and it's just again these concepts and we've been talking about this on this podcast for the better part of three years but i still get just as excited as if it's my first time it's like every single time it's like dude like if people only just, just switched it, right? Like yeah. when we, when we, when we, you know, we, we have a, we have a, a tendency to get exactly what we expect and what we, and what we accept, mm-hmm. you know, Absolutely. Um, I was just doing a podcast the other day and I was, uh, I was, uh, I was um, talking about the, the way that we have financial thermostats, mm-hmm. right? And everybody has their own financial level and, you know, Lin Ying, there's, there, there's a certain point in which if you're ever getting in trouble or if you're ever feeling uncomfortable at a certain point, your, your, your instinctual drive is going to kick in to go and make money to figure out a way to survive, right? It's like, you know, when you're, when you're drowning or when you feel like you're drowning or you're holding your breath underwater, like it may have been two minutes that passed and your lungs are saying, I can't take it anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Your instinctual drive is saying, I got to survive. Right. When in fact, you got 60, 70, 80% more in the tank. Right. You know, Absolutely. but, but, but ultimately, that extinctual drive is the thing that, 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 that helps you, that turns it on, that helps you get to those goals, right? So um, I want to, I guess I want to end this with talking about an investment in yourself because this has been absolutely amazing. Just talking about financial freedom, I'm getting to our freedom numbers. And mm-hmm. over the years, you started building out your portfolio uh, with three partners. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you guys have different skill sets, and hopefully, we'll be able to touch on that in a little bit in this question as well. But you guys have different skill sets. You guys bring different things to the table. You guys probably all don't live the same type of lifestyle. Maybe not even in the same in the same city. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different dynamics. And as you're growing, you're you know you're going on podcasts, you're intaking information, you're doing all the things to better yourself. Um, I want to know first. First is in the past few years, what has been one of the most worthwhile investments you've made in yourself and I don't want this to be like something. Some, I want this to maybe be an investment of of time, an investment of energy, an investment of mm-hmm. resources. But if you think about one of the most worthwhile investments you've made in yourself in the, in the past few years, what would that be? I think it has to be the Miracle Morning. Mm. Um, so, so uh, my business partners and I have been doing Miracle Morning pretty religiously over the last couple of months, probably last six months or so. You know, with the with COVID and everything, and you know, what I found, you know, is that investing time uh, to do that not only sets up the day well, but it creates a routine uh, that creates that kind of discipline, that self-discipline that I need, uh, you know, to be an entrepreneur. You know, because right now I'm the person dictating my own schedule, right? I don't have a boss yelling at me for coming in late. So I have to work when I need to work and I need to kind of also have that balance to say to switch off work because it's so easy as entrepreneurs to say, you know, I'm going to work from 6 a.m. in the morning until, you know, 10 p.m. at night. That's not going to work. You know, you still need that work-life balance. So for me, you know, doing the miracle morning, you know, just the meditation, the personal 
development, you know, books and podcasts and webinars that we've we've read or you know we've looked, we've watched, and just the reading um, and exercise. So both physical and mental fitness. I think right now our company is really good about keeping each other accountable to make sure that we're all physically and mentally fit. And then, you know, then we have the energy and the drive to pursue our broader goals. That's absolutely. How has the company grown over the years? So our company has been around since 2018. Um, so we've gone from very, very early on first deal and in, in the five unit, um, we did about six deals last year. Uh, two of them, we partnered with other GPs to syndication. So our portfolio under that umbrella is up to about 450 units. Awesome. And, uh, and then this year, you know, I actually, um, we're actually looking into a new city. Um, our investment criteria is always looking at inland growth cities. That's getting, a lot of demographic tailwind from populations moving into lower cost of living areas. And, you know, there are more business families. So there's a lot more drop growth in the cities. So we're currently looking into Arizona uh, in the greater Phoenix area. So that's a new area for us, which is very exciting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Last question before we get to the last round, what are the roles and responsibilities for each, each partner? So I am, so you know, it's interesting because when you first start a business, everyone wants to do everything because it takes time to figure out what everyone's strengths are, what they like to do. So over the last year or so, we actually have real definition now. Um, so I, myself is, I'm in charge of acquisitions. So I'm the chief investment officer. I, you know, I look at deals, underwrite them. Um, I bring deals to the team. And then, you know, I go through that, that whole process is me. And then we have, and our team has Charlie, which uh, he does most of the marketing and capital raising. So he's our chief marketing officer. Um, he's the guru behind our websites and a lot of our content because we have a monthly newsletter that we send out. And then recently, as I told you, we you know, we created this white paper called the New Roadmap to Financial Freedom, which has he's, all the. He's, he's the one making you get on these podcast episodes, huh? He, he, yeah, he yeah. is. He is. <laughs> <laughs> He's the one, you know, cracking the whip behind me and say, hey, you got to get on more podcasts, you know? So, um, and then, and then Christina, uh, she does all the asset management and she's the, she's very detail oriented and numbers person. So she can tell you, you know, what the electric bill on this property was last year and how different it was for this year, which I can't do. So, yeah. you know, we do have very complementary skill sets and, you know, we love it. That, isn't that beautiful when you're able to form a partnership like that absolutely and we love you know we love working together because we have the same hobbies you know i'm a snowboarder they're skiers and we're big outdoors people you know we're into hiking and camping um we're very big into nature i mean that kind of and travel so that's kind of what drives that that is really the fuel for why we want to continue to grow our business is the ability to you know to enjoy nature to travel to spend time with our families and that's why we we really don't want to go back to corporate the corporate job because that like you said, like there's no, there's no freedom there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. I, I, I've been touched by your story. When you think about just your typical day and how much time you spend on the business, because you, your, your primary motivator is freedom and joy and being outdoors and skiing. What, what, what kind of construct have you created? You know, they they often say that you find the the best freedom in a schedule. And now you've created your miracle morning and you're kind of creating the, the, the putting these schedules in place, which is, again, is giving you more freedom because you know where things lie and how things should get done. What does a, what does a day look like and how often are you able to be adventurous? Well, it, it's, it's different now, right? With COVID of and pre-COVID. Um, there's definitely more routine with what's going on with COVID, but you know, I think pre-COVID what, our company's culture really focuses on is that flexibility and freedom that we each individually know what we have to do. We share this common goal that we want to grow this business, be successful, bring more financial, more financial freedom to more people. And so, you know, if we never turn down anyone's vacation requests, let's just say that. So like, my business partner is on vacation this whole week and I'm like, great, that's fine. You know, enjoy vacation. I'm jealous. You know, that's a one thing that you don't get in the corporate world, because if you go on vacation, someone's always complaining that they have to do your work for you. Like we do not have that guilt mentality. So we want to make sure that, you know, that 
you know, if we have a venture that lined up ourselves and we do have adventures together, that we kind of create that for each other, that, that uh, create that space for each other. And, you know, when we get together to go hiking or camping, they actually live out in Colorado and Boston. So we are in actually different cities. So mm-hmm. when we do get together, we have, let's say, you know, two days of strategy meetings and then maybe a day of fun and then another day of like strategy meetings. That way we mix the fun and play together. A motivated seller list of 5,000 gets you 50 leads, which gets you 25 offers, which gets you one deal. That equals $10,000. I'm documenting the entire process from A to Z for free. And I'm giving you all the contracts, scripts, and tools for you to do it too. Beforethemillions.com forward slash 5K to sign up for the challenge today. Beforethemillions.com forward slash 5K. Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? Say Rich Dad Poor Dad and Miracle Morning. If I can put in another one. Boom! There we go. And you guys know those books so well. And both of those books will be in the show notes if you want to check them out. What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. Calm. Oh, what's that? That's a new one. It's a meditation app. Oh, Calm, Calm. Yes, yes. I've I've tried Calm and I haven't, I don't know. Calm is not for me, but I, I think that so many people get so, so, so they have a commercial uh, recently came out and it's a really nice commercial. I was just like, man, like maybe I should get back into it because so many people really love that app. Yeah, it makes meditation easier because I'm a meditation newbie. Um, so, you know, it's really hard when you're meditating to be able to be, you know, present all the time and the guided meditation just makes it easier and you learn something new every day, um, with the daily calm. So, you know, for me, it's, it, it helps me kind of get into that routine of actually meditating. I love it. I love it. The calm app. Mm-hmm. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? The flexibility. Mm, mm, mm. When you think about the flexibility that you have now as opposed to the flexibility that you had back in the day, I mean, do you, would you say you're working the same? Would you, working, or would you say you're working as hard? I think I'm working harder hmm. because I'm building something for myself. Um, and there is a lot of, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of discipline that goes into it. Um, it's flexible. Like some of my friends think I never work which is not true. Right. Um, but it does come in ways, right? When they're, you know, since I'm on the acquisition side, if there are deals, then I could be analyzing, you know, I'd be, I could be working, you know, 10 hours a day. Um, but sometimes if there are no deals, I could be working four hours a day. So there's that flexibility with, with, with my schedule and, you know, just the amount of time that I need to work, to work in. I don't feel like I have to, you know, work hard to show someone I'm working hard, which is important. So I get to be more efficient uh, with my time. I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, oftentimes when we, when I, when I talk to my friends, it's like, you know, you have the, the one end of the spectrum where it's like, you know, cause you're, it's almost like you're an enigma, right? You're, you're, you're like this dark horse. And it's like one of the spectrum, people think that all you do is work. You're working 24 hours, you, mm-hmm. you know, nothing but work. And then on the other end of the spectrum, people think, man, like guy doesn't do anything. Like, <laughs> just travels and takes pictures and, what a, what an interesting life. And I mean, I always find all we're always right about right in the middle of where we were when we're working full time at a corporate job, but we're working for ourselves and we're working how we want to work. And we're building for something that is going to pay us back for a generation. So I would uh, make the switch any day. Yes, absolutely. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? Um, sacrifices, I mean, obviously, um, a stability, um, you know, stability in having a job. I think that's one thing a lot of people doing the corporate job, they can't give up is the comfort and stability is the known, right? You have, you're kind of stepping into the unknown. Um, so there is that, um, you're facing a lot of risk and challenges. You don't really quite know what's going to come tomorrow. Um, so it's exciting, but also, you know, scary a lot of times. But then, you know, being able to sacrifice that comfort and stability 
you know, allows, it motivates me to work much harder toward my goal. So. Absolutely. Love it. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? Just in um, you mean to get to where I am here today? Yes, ma'am. I think my business partners, Charlie and Christina, um, I think just forming that mindset, kind of having someone there to help me with it, I think that's important because, you know, each of us bring our own experiences and backgrounds and our opinions to, to, to this company and the support that we gave each other. You know, we all have, have our ups and downs where, you know, one day I might break down and another day someone else might break down. But we're always there for each other lifting it lifting us up. So I think that's the important support structure that we have for each other. I love it. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? Because because people are too comfortable. It's you know, it's easy to go to a job and just work your nine to five or you know, eight to six and go home, go to the gym, make dinner, and then say, okay, it'll be better tomorrow, right? Mm. But there's always that mindset. And then tomorrow it may be better. And then you're like, okay, so it's not as bad. And then the next day it goes bad again. So you're thinking, oh, I should switch again. But then you don't, you're like, okay, maybe tomorrow will be better. So is that roller coaster ride that, you, that a lot of people in corporate world goes through? And then before you know it, you're 60. Or you're 50, if you're lucky, you're 40 and you're laid off and you have no other, you know, no other opportunities out there. Um, so I think it really, at the end of the day, is that people get too comfortable with their lifestyles and they don't want to change. Lenin, this has been absolutely an amazing podcast episode. If the listeners want to learn a little bit more about you, they want to reach out to you, say hi, maybe find out a little bit more about what you guys have going on. Mm-hmm. Where can they find some of your information? Oh, we have a website. It's a www.acrascapital.com. So we, you can find a lot of our information on there. We do have a monthly newsletter that's very educational. talks about real estate syndication, some, sometimes about, you know, just lifestyle, what we do, um, you know, create company no, updates. No, and things like that. no. Well, actually... There, there will be actually there has been skiing picks. so hiking picks it's, it's uh, possible you know our, our marketing gurus the person that creates most of our content there but you know I promise it's very educational um, and then you know we do have a, a white paper called the new roadmap to financial freedom as well that you can download on our website dope and every link that we've mentioned in today's show will be in the show notes, ladies and gents. Lenin, thank you so much for coming on the show. You've been an absolute blessing to my listeners, and we'll talk to you very soon. Thank you for having me.